I'm Lizanne Flynn. I'm a master healer who works with all earthlings to reunite them within themselves and with each other, regardless of the dimension they're currently in. Meaning, I'm a medium as well as an animal communicator, medical intuitive, and channel for all beings. I use the tools of shamanic journeying and soul retrieval to support animals and humans as they heal from past trauma. I'm certified as a Reiki master teacher and as a canine massage therapist. This is the Animals I View podcast. Before we get started into the subject matter of today's podcast about same stripes, different patterns, and the illusion of power, just a reminder that I'll be taking a month break. So the last podcast that usually drops on Thursdays, if I have my act together, (laughs) is going to be on November the 19th, and then I'll take a month break, and the next one will be right around the winter solstice, which is usually like the 21st, 22nd of December, so just kind of heads up about that. And I don't think I mentioned in previous podcasts, maybe I have, I created something for the planet that animals and humans can use together when they choose to partner in energy, in health, and in, and in wellness. And that is a portable animal therapy table. And I'm really excited because it was actually just today, although I kind of got a wind of it earlier in the week that the patent application that I had submitted to the U.S. Patent and Trade Office has, in fact, been approved. And so (laughs) I now have a patent, which is just pretty darn cool. I'm just, what's the phrase? I'm pretty chuffed about it. The patent number, in case you want to look it up, is 10,820,976. So, the sky's the limit, people. Never, ever, ever doubt yourself. The whole process took, well, I guess probably from start to finish, just a little over two years, which at the time when I first filed the patent application back in August of 2018, I thought, oh my God, this this wait is impossible. How can I even manage to wait another two years? But although the wheels at the U.S. Patent and Trade Office may grind slowly, they do in fact still grind. So there you have it. I'll keep you all posted about manufacturing and... My my vision is, frankly, to change the paradigm of the interactions between animals and humans in all therapeutic situations. I mean, quite frankly, I would like for this to reset the paradigm on grooming tables. I would like this to reset the paradigm on veterinary exam tables. 
I can easily see where a veterinary acupuncturist would love to be able to work with an animal in an acupuncture setting on my table. Because the way it's designed, it's square, it's low to the ground, about the height of a coffee table. And on each of the diagonal corners, and if you look up the patent at the U.S. Patent Office website, you'll be able to see that. On each of the diagonal corners is what I call a comfort corner, in that it is a place for the animal to kind of back up into and lay their back against so that they don't have a fear, which... You know, you might imagine from their perspective, they're up on a table, they're standing up on the table, they don't know where the edge of the table is, because most of the tables I've seen grooming-wise, and certainly veterinary exam table-wise, there's no lip on the table. There's no visual demarcation or delineation of, here's the edge of the table. I think they have a spatial recognition, animals do, of kind of how far it is down to the ground. But if you're intuitive at all, or an empath, and even if you put yourself into the pause, if you will, of say a dog, a cat, any other small breed animal that's being either examined or being told to, let's see if we can get you relaxed into this acupuncture setting. You can even imagine as a human, that would be kind of an uphill battle because even though you trust your guardian, you might like your vet, you're really fond of your groomer, they're still they're still asking you to do things on a physical level that your body would likely be uncomfortable with. So that's my dream anyway, that that's going to reset the paradigm because, you know, I I really like the saying, as you all know, by Buckminster Fuller, which is, don't bash the old, create something that makes the old obsolete. And I do perceive that this is what I've done. So stay tuned about that. When we're talking about same stripes, different patterns, the illusion of power, there's a popular idiom, a saying that is talking about changing one's stripes. And it's derived from the phrase, quote, a tiger cannot change its stripes, meaning the people are incapable of changing their essential nature. And so I think from the animal perspective to think about, you know, changing one's stripes, <laughs> I'm fairly certain if I were to talk with tiger or zebra or bumblebee or any other creature who happens to have stripes of a sort, I would probably get kind of a quizzical look and they would look at me like, well, what do you mean change my stripes? Why would I want to change my stripes? I think my stripes serve me really well. Thank you very much. I am who I am, and I'm really glad about that, and I wouldn't dream of wanting to change my stripes. And you see, that's one of the main differences between beings in animal experience and beings in human experience, is that they don't have any angst about who they are. There's no existential wondering of, oh, what was I meant to do here? Why why am I down here on this planet? I don't understand. Who am I supposed to be? What is what is this body in, into which I was incarnated? They just have an amazing ability to accept who they are 
And I think moreover, particularly here on this planet, except whether they are predator, whether they are prey, whether they live mostly on land, whether they, whether they live mostly in water, whether they mostly live in the air and only use land and water occasionally, they just kind of step into their physical forms and they just say, yes, I have these stripes and I'm really glad about these stripes. There's also the phrase of, you know, a leopard can't change its spots, which is kind of the same sort of idiom, I think, which is people are how they are. And we shouldn't expect, because of course, when you have expectations, and then you're disappointed, that's kind of on you, because you set out those expectations yourself, and they really don't have anything to do, quite frankly, with another person. But by and large, the animals would say, we, we just kind of wouldn't want to change anything about ourselves. And of course, I think where beings in human experience are concerned, as I once had this conversation with my own mother, because we were having a conversation about people being who they are, and it's important to accept people how they are. I honestly can't remember what the particular issue was. But as I said to her, particularly where beings in human experience are concerned, I said, I have no desire to change another individual. I wouldn't want that. I can ask them, depending upon the context of my relationship with them, to change their behavior. Because I think beings in human experience are able to change their behavior. As a matter of fact, when you think of any kind of training that we do with beings in animal experience, that's in fact what we're asking them to do. We're asking them to change their behavior. We're not asking them to change who they are, the the essence of their personality or their temperament. But if you have, say for instance, a dog, a cat, it doesn't really matter, a horse, any kind of relationship with a being an animal experience, and that being an animal experience happens to have an issue with reactivity, and we've talked before that that's usually based in either fear or pain, we can ask them and make a request to have them change that behavior. And of course, as with most beings on the planet, it is far, far easier to support someone to change their behavior, which is an action external to the being themselves, if we put all sorts of positive inducements in there. You know, when it comes to dogs, it's going to be a lot of at a girl, at a boy. It's going to be, here's your treat. Oh, this is fabulous. Thus showing them that when you change your behavior, really, really wonderful things happen for you. <laughs> and then, of course, not necessarily the opposite, but the contrast of that would be we simply remove those things. We don't punish them for not doing those things. At least I hope we, that would be the queen's we, are not doing that. But we respond in a neutral way and we just say, oh, oops, and we redirect them to the place that we would like for them to go. I happen to believe that beings who choose to incarnate 
most definitely in animal experience, are by virtue of the being themselves inside of that experience, inherently good. And I know that you all have seen recently, especially for whatever reason this time of year, mountain lions appearing to stalk individuals when in fact that person had come along a mother with her cubs, followed the cubs, and then all of a sudden mom pops out and wants to make sure that there's a great deal of distance between that individual and her very precious cubs. And with beings in human experience, I also do perceive that all of the light beings who choose to incarnate in human experience are also, in fact, good and essential and fabulous beings. As I've talked before, I think we have an indoctrination of different kind of belief systems that we layer on top of our human experience, and that's when the waters get to be a little bit murkier, I think. And you see, with animals, they don't have any of that, which is bringing me back to they would look at me and say, why would I even want to change my spots or my stripes? This is who I am, and I really love who I am, and I think I am worthwhile on this planet. And animals can be such a mirror for us in human experience. And then, although those same belief systems that I just mentioned would have you think otherwise, we don't have dominion over them. That's part of our illusion. They are ascended masters on the planet just as we are and are deserving of no less than the joy that we strive to gather for ourselves every single day. And as I've said before, their compass is pretty much pointed north toward joy all of the time. And it's interesting when we look at stripes and spots and other camouflage on animals, We have tigers, we have zebras, we have the bumblebee. There's a striped marlin who can actually change the color of their stripes depending upon their emotional state. We have the okapi, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, O-K-A-P-I, whose stripes also serve as a visual follow me, I'm your mom, I'm over here, (laughs) kind of message to their young. We have the chipmunk, we have the skunk, we have a creature called a numbat, N-U-M-B-A-T, that's a marsupial. We have the coral snake. There's many, many, many species who would no more change their stripes than the person on the moon would have them do that. They just understand that this is part of who they are. There was a really interesting study that I'll put a link to in the podcast notes that was done with horseflies that were not landing on zebras, the same that they were landing on horses. And in this particular sanctuary, I think if I have that right, rescue, this individual rescued both horses as well as zebras. And they were noticing that the horseflies were not landing with nearly the same amount of frequency that they were on the horses. So they thought to themselves, I know what we'll do. 
we will put striped zebra covers on the horses and we'll just kind of monitor and we'll just kind of see whether it has something to do with the visual representation of the contrast in colors that somehow maybe sends a message to the flies that, no, you shouldn't land here. No, you're not capable of landing here. And I think the conclusion that they came up with as a result of the study was that, in fact, it does seem like the flies are disoriented from the changing colors and from the contrast of the white to the black. And the list of animals that I just read to you, the tigers, the zebras, the marsupials, chipmunks, etc., you will notice that there are both predator as well as prey in that list. And their stripes have different orientation, both horizontal as well as vertical, and that each one serves them in unique ways. For both tiger and zebra, definitely predator and prey, It serves to actually camouflage both the hunter and the hunted so that each is given something to help in their journey and neither one has power over the other, which I think from a human perspective we we perceive that it's the tiger that will always have the power in this situation because the tiger is predator. But that's not necessarily the case because we all know and have probably seen videos where there are times where the zebra or antelope or whatever the prey is, and even if we're talking about, say, for instance, a cheetah, the that is also an apex predator and another kind of prey, both having their own version of stripes, spots, etc., that serve to camouflage them. Sometimes the predator comes out on top and sometimes the prey comes out on top. And so it's, it's definitely part of our illusion that because one is a predator, that one has the power, that one is, at least in our eyes, one is stronger, faster, heavier in weight, all those sorts of things than the other, that the predator would always gain the upper hand. Above all, even with seeming opposites, animals understand that there is a greater equalizer than who has stripes of one kind or another. And that is the dictum of balance. They understand that on this planet of seeming duality in both predator and prey, predator and prey understand they are actually forming a perfect union. Predator can't exist without prey, and prey cannot exist without predator. And to a certain extent, perhaps if you look at camouflage in that way, you can see, as the animals see it, that Each one is given whatever it is they need for this experience on this planet to be here for as long as they're meant to be here and for as long as they're meant to be here so that they can gain soul awarenesses for whatever the evolutionary path is of their soul. Because they know that this is temporary. They know that while humans would look at this as being life and death, 
And animals certainly understand that this, that there is a transition out of physical form. There just isn't necessarily the angsty hanging on with all paws and all sets of claws and teeth and all sorts of perhaps defensive mechanisms that they were gifted with in their physical form. They they kind of find a way to release and they kind of find a way to move toward balance, understanding that every single stripe of every single color and every single stripe of orientation, both horizontal and vertical, is necessary on this planet because that's how they continually achieve and strive for balance. They understand that balance makes the unity happen on the planet. At least, that's how the animals see it. Thanks for listening today. I offer all new clients a free 15-minute consultation. Reach out if you think I can be of service via www.lazanflynn.com. Come and find me on social media, Facebook, Twitterverse, Instagram, and LinkedIn. I would also invite you to sign up for my quarterly newsletter. The next one actually will be coming out probably within the next couple of weeks. I'm going to be holding an online psychic fair, which I do every four months or so at a 25% discount price. Clients and I connect for 20 minutes at a time, maximum of 40 minutes at a time, either via video chat and a telehealth kind of a confidential arrangement or via phone. Those usually can just be a lot of fun. So I would invite you to sign up for the newsletter so you can get ready for that and get signed up for that. This has been the Animals Eye View podcast. I'll see you next time. Thank mm-hmm. you.